Welcome to our Easter celebration on this Resurrection Sunday. Um, it is so good to celebrate this truth. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here, um, the lead pastor I get to on most Sundays, bring God's Word. And it is, a, it is a special privilege to bring God's Word today. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 27, uh, 27 through 56, and then we'll, we'll go into chapter 28 as well. So you can be turning there. This story of Easter morning and really the, the Good Friday before it never grows old. It is an amazing story, the very best story ever. God, the inventor of story, um, has given us the best story. It's a true story that will never grow old. And so we can revisit it today in confidence. Um, this is a wonderful story, masterfully told by the original author, Matthew, but God working through that author. You will find in this story, we'll take time to look at, um, a number of unexpected twists. These really happen, but they're highlighted here to catch our attention. And, and I think we understand unexpected twists, right? We are here in the middle of an unexpected twist. Who would have thought even, what, even a month ago, uh, never mind a year ago, that on this Easter Sunday, we would be celebrating in quarantine online with just uh, eight of us here and all of you guys at home. We never would have expected this. And, and to do it along with actually just about the whole world, right? All 7.8 billion people have been affected by this. This is an unexpected twist, an unwelcome one. And God is in control of all these things. He is the king over all unexpected twists. And ultimately, he works through these unexpected twists to bring about something greater than we could imagine. That's what's in the story today. And by extension, through faith in him, uh, he works the same in our lives. He's the God of unexpected twists who accomplishes things greater than we could imagine. So let's take a look to today at this story and the unexpected twists and how God uh, accomplishes something much greater than we could imagine. Before we read and talk about it, let's pray and ask him to help us to understand, to help me to proclaim it as well. Lord, we thank you for who you are. You are the king over all things. You are the king over unexpected twists. You are the king over the coronavirus. You are the king over the situation in Jesus' life at the end. You are the king who in power raised him from the dead brought the ultimate solution, the ultimate resolution, the ultimate cure through Christ. And I pray that this good news, this really good news, brought through this unexpected twist, would fill our hearts and give us hope and change our lives, that we might live in what you have done. Help me, Lord, as I proclaim your word, uh, to do it clearly, and in, Lord, I pray um, I pray you just help us to grasp what this story means for me as I teach it and for us as we hear it. We thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read verses 27 through 56, and later we'll look at uh, chapter 28 as well. This is the story of the Good Friday with its unexpected twist. It says in verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, 
and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let's, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to Him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. God's Word from Matthew chapter 27. I want to talk about four unexpected twists in the Easter story uh, here in Matthew. And I want to take time to look at these. I am indebted to pastor and theologian D.A. Carson for his wonderful exposition of these insights. But these are not the invention of D.A. Carson or any writer. This is the genius of God himself telling us a story, weaving a story in history, a real story that is done in such a way that it, that it shows what he's like and it should catch our attention and cause us to come and put our hope in God as we live under unexpected twists because he is in control and he is able to work all these things all these unexpected twists for ultimate good 
So the first unexpected twist is that the one who is mocked as king actually is the king. Our text opens up with the scene in the Roman soldiers' headquarters, the praetorium. Jesus has already undergone brutal scourging, and we find him before this battalion of soldiers. He's stripped of his clothes. They mockingly dress him in a scarlet robe. That was the robe that was the attire of a king. And they put this cruel crown of thorns on his head and give him this pathetic reed to act as a scepter. And they make sport of him. They kneel down, they bow down before him, and they proclaim with their mouths, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and strike him with this mock scepter. The surprising thing, the unexpected twist, is he actually is the King of the Jews. He actually is the King of all kings. This one who is mocked as King actually is the king, and unlike any other king. The Gospel of Matthew actually starts out highlighting his kingship. It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ means anointed one or Messiah, implying the king. The book of genealogy of Jesus the Christ, son of David. That means he's the king. David was the king, and Jesus is the inheritor of all the promises given to David as a king. It's a title reserved only for the king. He is the promised king of Israel. And so what the soldiers say is actually true. And what they do actually is surprising as well. They bow their knees and confess that he is king. In mockery. But we know in Philippians 2, as was read earlier, that when Jesus returns, to finish and complete His rule over all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so what they do mockingly is a picture of what they will do. All people, all peoples throughout all time will be there before the judgment seat of the great King and they will bow and confess. Confess that Jesus is King. He is Lord. He's the one who gives life and breath to all. It is through Him that, that creation came about, that human beings were made, that the ability to use our mouths and make sounds and, and cause our minds to think and our bodies to act was initiated and sustained. He is the King of kings. He's the Creator. So they're bowing down before the Creator. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created all together, but it was through the Son things were created. So they're bowing down before the actual king in this way as well. And he is unlike any other king. Only this king would endure the scorn of his enemies without a single protest. Only this king would suffer scourging and mockery and death for the sake of his enemies. Only this king would say on the cross about his mockers, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Only this king would and could 
give his very life as an offering to bring forgiveness and peace with the very people who mock him. And don't make the mistake of reading the story and saying somehow if I were there, I would have been different. Left to ourselves, we would walk along with the crowd. And I can't help but think of things I did when I was young before I followed Jesus. I remember, and I think it might have been an, even, an Easter weekend, telling a joke about Jesus on the cross that mocked him and was just given to make my friends laugh. And actually, from what I remember, my friends were shocked at my joke. Thank God that he is merciful to his mockers and actually went through all this to rescue mockers. Like we see in the story, like you, like me. The second unexpected twist of the story is the one who is utterly powerless is ultimately powerful. The one who is utterly powerless is ultimately powerful. This is another surprise. It's the weakness of Jesus, right? If you follow the story, go through the Gospels and, and follow the story, Jesus is anything but powerless. His miracles are, are meant to display His Lordship. Most of all, His miracles, he's certainly it's about the compassion of God touching lives. He loved people. But He did the miracles to demonstrate His Lordship over all things, over sickness, over demons, over storms, over death. You name it. Anything that would, would be a bad thing and an obstacle. He overcomes in power. He even makes a coin appear in a fish's mouth to pay taxes. Can you imagine that? Some of us could use that ability. He demonstrated his power in all these ways. Whatever he wanted to do, he was able to do. And as God the Son in the flesh and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it caused those around him to be in awe. And they actually, it was so inspiring that they wanted to force him to be their king. Now, on their terms, of course. But they wanted to make him king because he could feed people at will. He could multiply loaves and fishes. He was utterly powerful, and they wanted such a king. He would not have it. He's certainly, we know from the rest of the Bible, he's the creator of all. He's ultimately powerful in who he is, and yet he stands before Pilate and his accusers silent and not defending himself. He allows him, himself to be scourged with the brutal whip of the Romans. They go to force him to carry his cross. He's so weakened by the experience in his humanity that he can't carry his cross. Normally, crucified or people on their way to crucifixion would have carried their own cross. Jesus can't even carry his own cross. He's pathetic. He's weak. He's powerless. And so Simon of Cyrene is pressed into service. The same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, calmed the storm with a few words, cannot muster the strength to carry his own cross. And then he's on the cross and the mockers begin. 
You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. You, you who boasted of these things, come down from the cross. Now He had made those statements earlier about if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it when He cleansed the temple. And they were questioning Him about His authority. And He, he made this prediction. Destroy this temple in three days, I, I will raise it. And it seemed to them an audacious and ridiculous claim. And so they now use it against Him because now this is the one who said He could rebuild this temple which took decades and decades to build. There He is pathetically on the cross. Big, powerful Jesus. Going to rebuild the temple, huh? The Son of God can't even keep Himself from being crucified. He is stuck there on the cross as the ultimate loser. Yet, in this weakness, he was incredibly strong. And it was in subjecting himself to this weakness voluntarily that he could empower rebuild the temple. He could empower do his work. He could do the most powerful thing. Actually restore all of humanity who would turn to him and ultimately all the universe through his death and resurrection. In order for the temple to be restored, it had to be destroyed first. And he spoke of his own body because the temple was a place where God encountered humanity. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the place, the person, the, the, the focal point, the locus of where God encounters humanity and humanity encounters God. And so this temple had to be destroyed so it could be raised again and be a place where we could truly meet God. He was most powerful in this weakness. Dying for us. Bearing our sins. Rising again into power. And He calls us to the same life. This is an important part of Christianity. There needs to be a place for weakness and dependency on God. There needs to be a place, there is a place for suffering and sickness and persecution and rejection. There's a pattern in the life of Christ. Now, we will never atone for sins in our weakness, but we follow our King in our weakness because it's in our weakness that we are strong in Him. It's when we depend on the Lord, when we feel desperate and we can't do anything about the situation, that we learn to turn to the Lord and find in Him strength and life. Jesus did this. He walked in weakness. He gave Himself up to accomplish the most powerful thing He could, the redemption of mankind. And as we walk in weakness, we do the most powerful thing we can do because it forces us to turn to the One who is most powerful and stop being ridiculous about our own power. Guys, the coronavirus is just another instance of this for us. It presses us in a way that we would never have chosen. It's an unexpected twist we did not and would not invite. And yet it presses us. We're aware of our vulnerability. We're aware of our weakness in terms of everything, right? Relationally, socially, we're not with each other. We don't have that strength. We are dealing with economic crisis. And, and I, probably all of us know people who have got the virus and some of us know people who have died from the virus. This presses us. 
into the reality that we are weak. And we can deceive ourselves when we're prosperous, when we are doing well in terms of the economy, when we're healthy, when we're relationally healthy. We can deceive ourselves in thinking that we ourselves are strong. And yet God uses this to remind us, no, we're not. And so we learn through Jesus to be weak and to be content and to trust in the Lord for deliverance. Jesus endured the cross looking forward to the resurrection. He scorned the shame. He was looking forward to the reward. We can endure weakness looking forward to the good work Christ will do through us. It's been the testimony of God's people throughout the ages. Peter faced his weakness, right? He thought he was strong. I'll never deny you, Lord. And he denied him three times. Paul suffered physically. Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression. John of the Cross speaks of the dark night of the soul. Mother Teresa uh, struggled with deep doubt about God's love for her. Billy Graham struggled with shyness and a sense of limited giftedness. Every Christian faces weakness just like their Lord. So let us embrace weakness looking to our Lord to make us strong like Jesus. The third unexpected twist of the Easter story is the one who can't save himself saves others. So when they mock, they say he saved others. He cannot save himself. This is true. It's meant as an insult, right? You saved others. You, you did all this stuff. You can't save yourself. Who are you? You're, you're just a, a phony. You went around rescuing people from sickness and all these things. You, you even heard you raised someone from the dead, supposedly. Saved people, but you can't save yourself. Yes. Exactly. They were exactly right. For In order for him to save others, he mustn't save himself. He must sacrifice himself. And the saving that he's doing on the cross is much more profound than any sort of other saving, whether it be from sickness or hunger or any evil. The saving on the cross is to save us from our sin and death that comes with it. Our, our own evil, our personal evil, our choices to do things our own way, to rebel against the good law of God. God is always good. And His law is good. His commandments are good. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is perfect. It's, it's right and good. The Creator who's given us every good thing, who sustains us, of course we ought to always and wholly love Him. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Of course. If I love myself, how can I say I'm better than anyone else? Therefore, I must love others with the same sort of, of level of love. This is God's law, yet we've all rebelled, we've all turned away, we've all fallen short. There's a personal evil that destroys us, breaks our relationship with God, keeps us in that place, and if we persist in living that way, we will live apart from God forever. And Jesus loves us enough to choose not to save Himself so He can save us. To rescue us from this terrible curse of sin, this terrible disease, far worse than any other disease we might ever have, is the disease of sin, which infects us from birth, from the beginning of life, from conception, and left to itself and its work in us, it will lead us and keep us separated from God. The most 
serious affliction, the most serious disease we have is the disease of sin and the spiritual death that comes with it. And Jesus comes to rescue us from this. For again, if we stay in our sin, we are going to be subject to a just and good judgment from a good God. He can't ignore our choices and the consequences, the just consequences for our choices. We are made in His image. And when we choose to rebel against Him and go our own way, we are accountable in a unique way. And we must all stand before Him and give account. Left to ourselves, all we can say is, Lord, I'm unworthy. I've sinned. I've rebelled. That's the the biggest issue we'll ever face. is standing before a holy and good God. And we are lost in our sins. Whatever they might be. They might be acceptable sins. They might be blatant sins. All have the same heart of self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, self-determination, rebellion against God. Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Do not fear... A sickness that can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God doesn't desire that any should perish, but He must be just. And in our sin, if we live in that, He can only say, depart from me. That's what justice demands. So our greatest fear is not a pandemic, as serious as it might be, I don't want to downplay it. And there's other things in Scripture that would teach us to, to certainly care and seek to do good in all this. And so here are all those things that I can't say right now. But let us put it in perspective. There's a greater fear. Fear of judgment for a holy God. And this is what Christ comes to rescue us from. This is amazing because the same God who is holy and must judge us and will have to say, depart from me, says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He sets His sights on us in His great love and mercy. And amazingly, sacrifices His only Son for us. The Son is in full agreement along with the Holy Spirit. In their love for us, saying, I want to rescue. And so Jesus cannot save Himself. He must sacrifice Himself to save us. As Toby read earlier, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. There's nothing more wonderful or more horrible than that. That the Son was given to sacrifice Himself in our place, to to bear the penalty for our sins on the cross. That's where it took place. Should you put your faith in Him, that is where your sins are judged. In Jesus, on the cross. Rather than before God on the final day. The Son was judged for you so that as you put your faith in Him, you can be forgiven and accepted and welcomed into His family and treated as a royal daughter or son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 
He couldn't save himself in order to save us from our sin. This reality should just cause us to run to Him. To trust in Him. To not try to stand on our own two feet in our our lives. To think that we can give an account on our own, but to run to Christ and say, please forgive me. Thank you for what you did. I received that gift, and now I want to follow you and love you. That is the only right response to that truth. To love Him and obey Him. To trust Him. To depend on Him. To follow this crucified and risen King. Finally, the biggest twist, unexpected twist of Easter, is the one who died most shamefully rose most victoriously. The one who died most shamefully rose most victoriously. So let me read that passage and then I'll talk about it briefly. Chapter 28, verses 1-10. through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who who was crucified. He is not here. For He has risen. As He said, come, see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He's risen from the dead. And behold, He's going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This same Jesus, who is mocked as the king, mocked as king, is the King of Kings. And he has risen victoriously over sin and death. This same Jesus who was so weak as to fall under the cruelty and suffering of the cross has risen to new life and now stands as the sure and permanent promise of new life for all those in Him. This same Jesus who could not save Himself now has risen from the dead by the power of God to guarantee full salvation from all the effects of sin. He is the firstfruits of those who die in Christ. The proof of the fruit of our faith in this new life. He's risen and He has been vindicated as King. He is the victorious one, the powerful Lord, the perfect Savior. And He surprised everyone. Those women went to the tomb expecting to find a body. But they found a risen Savior who is Lord. This is the truth of who He is. This is the story of unexpected twists. This is a demonstration of of the character of God, the king of unexpected twists, who accomplishes something greater than we can imagine through these things. Most importantly, most profoundly, in and through the life of Christ, through the the work on the cross and His resurrection. So come this Easter and put your faith in this king. Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your plans. 
your bank accounts, your skills, your sense of stability. Stop trusting those things. Trust this one who is Lord over all and takes unexpected twists and uses them for good. And in this story, ultimate good. Lift your eyes above the pandemic and its evil to look on the one who has overcome sin and death. Receive his forgiveness. It's for you. And live in his unending strength and goodness. If you've never told him that you believe and you want to follow, it's important to do that. We should actually talk to him all the time. But let me lead you in a responsive prayer. If, if you are at this place where you're realizing, yes, Jesus, I believe and I want to follow, just pray this way. Jesus, thank you that you took my sin on yourself and suffered and died in my place. Thank you for your forgiveness. I receive it. And I receive your new life. Now lead me as I trust you and follow you. Amen. There's not a better person, not a better truth, not a better experience than following Jesus. He is Lord of all. He is Lord over the unexpected. And He works things that are greater than we can imagine. Trust Him. Follow Him. Wait on Him. And enjoy Him. Let's pray. If I could ask the band to come up as we transition to song before communion. Lord, thank You for this amazing story that's all true. And thank You for this day to celebrate it and remember it and to encounter it. We ask You, Lord, fill our hearts with wonder at Your death and resurrection and all of who You are and all that we have in You. Be lifted up, we pray, our great God. In Christ's name, amen.